Manchester kittens, Liverpool kittens, Newcastle kittens, people upon the Tyne kittens, kittens of the north, kittens of the south. Uh, once again, we convene here at the fabulous confines of the Soho Theatre, located at our luxurious Dean Street, uh, in a basement in Soho here in London, as once more the podcast takes to the ether uh, from this salubrious basement, where the bar will be open through the entire show, ladies and gentlemen. That's the kind of... Exactly. Uh, it's good for you, it's good for me, as they say. Uh, welcome, one and all. If you're out there listening in Proopcast land and you've got your earbuds in, this is a perfect time to light one up. If you're at work, this is a perfect time to not do anything you've been hired to do. <laughs> Take a break from your work. I mean, after all, you're slaving away for them, and really, what are you getting out of it? Think about that. Uh, if you're at the gym, whatevs. And... Uh, <laughs> If you're lying at home stoned in a puddle, don't even reach the dial. Leave it on the volume it's out right now. Uh, we're back in London, and I couldn't be happier. We did a week of a stand-up here at the Soho Theater, and it was uh, most fun. People came out in their numbers, and uh, I, c I can't tell you how gratifying it is. I realized that sentimentality and thanks are an anathema to the English crowd, and uh, that Londoners detest any type of effusiveness. Uh, so uh, I'll keep that to a minimum, and let me just say this is the friendliest place in all of England, and the cleanest. Uh, whatever. I was kissed by a toothless homeless person the other night, so yeah. Uh, if you want to touch me later, it's at your own peril. Let's just talk about it that way. This, I'm like a Peter Aykroyd novel now. You don't know what medieval fucking egg I have crawling over my body. I might have scabies within fucking scabies that rats can't even carry anymore because they've been bred too far too fast. Um, so it's very colorful here uh, in Soho. A few corrections before we get going. Uh, I have no idea what I said in the last Proopcast because that was in Austin and I had a couple of um, health issues, like I wasn't um, high enough. And so, uh, but previous to that, I think I made some erroneous statements and I do get uh, tweets and uh, emails and whatnot. If you want to email me, it's at fanmailforgreg at gmail.com. If you want to ask a question on the show, smartest man, is it smartest? I've just fucking forgot the uh, email. <laughs> Smartest at a special thing .com, I think it is what it is, what it is, what it is, what it is. As Aretha Franklin once said, it's a funky and low down feeling what it is. Um, and these are the mistakes I made. I was talking about Ernst Lubitsch because we broadcast in uh, uh, Los Angeles from a bar called Bar Lubitsch, which I presume was named after Ernst Lubitsch. And he was uh, born in Berlin. I, I asserted that L Ernst Lubitsch was Hungarian. I was lumping him in with other Hungarian directors like Michael Curtiz and whatnot. And I, I erred. And as you know, to err is human, to proop divine. And so uh, I'd like to correct that and say that Ernst Lubitsch was born in Berlin, which accounts for his uh, amazingly keen sense of humor. Not that Hungarians aren't riffy. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and, I, and I urge you to go see Bluebird's, uh, Bluebird's Seventh Wife, is it? Uh, um, so, many, so many awesome Ernst Lubitsch movies. The Jack Benny movie, um, To Be or Not To Be. Uh, in any case, uh, uh, also I was talking about a, a reporter who was uh, um, killed recently in Afghanistan, or Syria or Afghanistan? Afghanistan, her name was uh, Marie Colvin. I, I asserted she was an English reporter. She was writing for the English paper, she was American. And then lastly, in the addendums correction, Errata and uh, uh, Eric Estrada, part of the program, uh, 
The, the movie Ball of Fire was directed by Howard Hawks. I have no idea who I ascribed it to. I think I said Lubitsch directed it, but he didn't. Howard Hawks directed Ball of Fire, and um, Billy Wilder and Charles Brackett wrote it, and it's hysterically funny. I've already discussed the movie, so I won't go into it again. It was also awesomely remade with Danny Kaye and Virginia Mayo uh, 10 years later by the same director, Howard Hawks, in Technicolor, and he had all jazz musicians in it. So that one's worth watching simply for the band because it's Lionel Hampton. I don't know if Duke Ellington's in it, but there's all these black musicians in it, and Hawks said... Uh, in a book I read uh, of, of his interviews that the studio was just majorly fucked off that he put all these black jazz musicians in but they were the greatest musicians in the world he also said Danny Kaye was a mess and was going to therapy um, I have no idea why I added that other than I know and two uh, having had friends here who lived in London for a long time and watching him uh, a Sunday at the Palladium special years ago when I lived here they were doing this whole, uh, whole TV special about the TV show Sunday at the Palladium right and of course Pinky and Perky were on right uh, singing all their songs Pinky and Perky uh, let me just explain to the American audience and uh, to the London audience which doesn't seem to remember or give a fuck at all <laughs> Pinky and Perky were two little pigs and uh were they real pigs, Greg? In a sense. Uh, they were on television and they performed. I don't know how much more real we can be. Uh, I know anything I saw on TV is more real than anything that could be in real life. Uh, as I've often said, if movies aren't better than real life, I don't want to fucking live. Um, and anyways, Pinky and Perky were two toy pig dolls and they put little guitars on them and they, had, they moved their mouths. They were like puppets or whatever. And they would always sing like um, the Everly Brothers or something, but they'd speed it up. Uh, as we used to say, when phonograph records went to 78, it was at 78, the highest speed. So they'd be like, So, evidently, along with Dame Vera Lynn and Arthur Askey and Tommy Cooper and all of your magnificent performers over the years, Pinky and Perky got a look in, too. Because there's really nothing more adorable to English people than animated plastic pigs singing in a high-pitched voice, uh, and, and really to all of us. Um, and in any case, on that show, they showed Danny Kaye. And Danny Kaye played here in the 50s, right? And, uh, and the 40s. And... Um, he would take his tie off and sit on the edge of the stage. And no, apparently no English performers had ever done that. Y'all are very proper, right, in that regard. And people would get up and they would do their act. Uh, and light comedy, which of course, light comedy means not as funny. Uh, that's what the, the meaning of light comedy is. Funny, but not so funny. Not that you're going to be laughing the whole time. Uh, they would get up and they'd sing their songs and whatnot. Uh, Helen Noga, whoever, and... Uh, uh, um, Ooh, someone's phone just go off? That's awesome. That's the other difference. Uh, uh, during the Palladium TV show, no one would, ring, ring, ring. That never happened. And they would say, hello, I'm sorry. I'm in the middle of the, the Sunday at the Palladium. I can't talk right now. Click. I'm listening to the Archers. It's the first year. And so Danny K would take his tie off sit on the edge of the stage and, um, uh, and sing, and then do crowd work, right? But not like Panto, like he's behind you and whatnot. He would make the crowd sing Minnie the Moocher and stuff like that. And a, a very good friend of mine who passed away named Loretta Feldman, who was Marty Feldman's um, widow, and who spoke like Tulula Banquet, and she was a, a marvelous person. Um, I said, did you ever see Danny Kay on stage in London? And she went, oh, yes. And I said, well, how was he? She was fabulous. He was so fucking sexy, darling. He took his tie off, and he sat on the edge of the stage. No one had ever bloody done that before. Kind of like when Judy came, right? And Judy plays the Palladium and she's coming to pieces and shit. And like the English crowd's never seen anyone have a real emotion on stage before and shit. So they're, they're all like crying and whatever. And she brings up, here's my daughter. I don't know her name, but she's awesome. You know, and it's really... Uh, I, had, I, I had an ultra, you know, a Percocet milkshake before the show and I'm coming to pieces and whatever. Um, so uh, there's that. Um, 
we have a lot to get to tonight, and that's why I bring up Danny Kaye and Ball of Fire with Howard Hawks, because he's, uh, one, an amazing performer. Uh, uh, what's the one? The Inspector General. I think that's my favorite Danny Kaye movie, but there's so other, The Court Jester and so many other ones. If you're going to the bar, will you get me a vodka? Someone in the front row got up just dressed like they're in a grunge group from 1991. And uh, so, looked like one of the girls from the Nirvana Smells Like Teen Spirit video just got up here. If you're not getting a sleeve tattoo in Soho somewhere, I wonder might they form a human chain and bring more alcohol toward the stage. Uh, I feel stupid and contagious. Does that make you, does that entice you more to come toward me with booze of any? Okay, all right, she's gone. There's four ladies lose and one men's loo, and that's what I love about the Soho Theater. They actually thought about it, unlike every other fucking venue on earth. Although always in London, the venues, are, the, the the toilets are downstairs. They're never in the pub where you're drinking. They always go. You're like, excuse me, where's this gents? I've just had 16 rum and blacks, and they go, uh, uh, dance dice, and they're like, thank you, Janet. Thank you so much, my precious love. That'll be all. Um, girl. Uh, we want to keep the class system intact. It's fun. It's fun. We're in England. Uh, the, uh, yes, I snorked. And uh, there, the bathroom's always downstairs. So, or the bathroom, the toilet. I know, you guys. Bathroom? You're not going to take a bathroom you're there? No, I'm not. I, I don't even want to touch anything that's there. And there's never any towels because pubs in England, if you saw the movie Train Spotting, where it goes, it was the worst toilet in Scotland, right? That's what all pub toilets are like in England. You don't touch anything, don't go near anything. If you're a woman, don't sit on the seat, if there is a fucking seat. If you're a man, don't look at anyone, don't touch anything. There's just You could walk on Blackfriars Heath and dig 15 feet down and find less plague than you can in a pub in the West End. Uh, and, but to me, it's always the downstairs part, because now what, it's a challenge and shit? I'm completely mortally fucked to the tits. I'm spinning, and all there is is a swirling vortex of stars going around my head and purple thunderclaps happening in my eyeballs, and I've gone outstairs, and I've, I've smoked a joint, and I'm high, and I, I have no idea where I am, and now I have to go down 50,000 fucking wooden stairs that are wet and shit and have vomit on every other one, and then the, the horrible little black thing that they pasted down in 1963 that you're not supposed to slip on is worn away utterly, and there's like absolute foot marks from a thousand zillion people over the 10,000 years of since Hogarth was drinking there. <laughs> Giant fat men and fucking top hats. It's like an Otto Deeks painting, right? There's like a girl with a baboon sitting at a table and a uh, and then you have to navigate down these caulking stairs and then like, you know, there's a sign that says like, don't eat the urinal cakes. It's unwholesome and, un you know, like, okay, I wasn't gonna, but all right. And then crawl back up these fucking stairs and that's how it always is here. But in the Soho Theater, there's four no waiting uh, ladies toilets and one gents in the back, which is uh, really awesome. I have my own special one back there and there's even towels in it this week, which I consider a personal aesthetic triumph. Um, I played here in December with a show called The Setless and there was never towels, not one fucking night. I don't know if the first comic just came in and went, ah, la, 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 or whatever, but like, really? No towels? How do you get through a whole sheaf of, what are they called? Stack, sheaf, whatever the fuck, a bale of towels? How do you get through a whole bale of fucking towels and leave me none? Because I'm prissy, I'm prissy. I have to spray. I shook hands with a lot of you, I met you, then I washed my hands, okay? Because I don't know what you have. Dengue fever, the yaws. Heaven knows what people have in London here. Everyone coughs here like they've got tuberculosis. So 
It's really like being at a Doc Holiday convention all the time in London. You'll be on the tube wherever you are and someone will just go Bleah! like that and you're like, holy shit. And then an otter pops out and like, you know, and it runs away. A little fucking hedgehog rolls up into a bull. Did you just cough up a hedgehog? And it was like a hedgehog. Yeah, it fucking had spines and a cute nose and whatnot. I freaked out. Um, so my wife gave me this. Uh, 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 th- this is what I want to start with this week. The, uh, Carl Lagerfeld, as you know, is the uh, designer for Ch- Chanel. Uh, previously, he designed for lots of different people, including his own label. And I, excuse me, I believe he designed for Chloe as well. Well, Carl Lagerfeld is, uh, how old is he? Late 70s, I'm guessing on this one here, right? And unlike the Pope, he wasn't in the Hitler Youth and there was a picture of him, but it was just a happy coincidence. Uh, <laughs> he's, an, he's a very interesting person. He's an enormously gifted designer, but Yves Saint Laurent is his exact contemporary, and Yves Saint Laurent kind of smoked him at every turn, right? Like Yves Saint Laurent won the, the giant contest in France when he was like a teenager, and that kind of beat Carl. And then as time wore on, Yves Saint Laurent, if you've ever seen any movies with him, right, he's always wearing a suit and tie and the giant glasses, and he's coked up and he's got a cigarette, and he's always like, it's like a dream, it's so beautiful, right? Like he's, always, he's really gentle, right? And Karl Lagerfeld is the exact opposite because he's German, and I'm not characterizing. Germans in any way here, although it will work in England. <laughs> He's not the most ethereal designer that ever lived, let me put it that way. In other words, he doesn't have a little dog, like in the Valentino movie, we saw the Valentino movie, Valentino's got five pugs and they pick them up by the scruff and because the pugs are so stupid, they just went when they get picked up and he, he's got them on his private jet and they're moving them around like chess pieces and shit. And Yves Saint Laurent had a dog, uh, a little blue like French bulldog thing that just sat under his desk, many of them over the years. Uh, and I assume licked up the coke that, that got dropped on the floor. Went, oh, that was Mexican brown heroin. Oh, oh, Mujik, you are upside down. Quelle surprise, quelle dommage, you know. I would get another Mujik. So life, Madame Fede is capricious. Madame Fede is capricious. Um, Karl Lagerfeld tries to be young. He lost a bunch of weight a few years ago, and he didn't say how he lost it, but it was clear that he got uh, liposuctioned, I believe. I don't think he lost the 200 fucking pounds that he had. He used to wear like orange jumpsuits and carry a fan all the time. Then he lost all the weight, and now he dresses like, he wears these weird 19th century rounded collars, which like, I'm all into fashion, but rounded collars, wow. I'm not gonna be administering marital vows in the 1870s, so I'm never ever going to wear a rounded collar during my lifetime. And then he wears these giant shades and he wears blue jeans to prove that he's young and hip and has loads of rings and he clacks them all the time on everything. <laughs> right? So he's a bit undead. And <laughs> I've watched these awesome documentaries with him and they'll be at the fashion show in Paris and Fashion Week or whatever or even in London at Fashion Day. And uh, they are, uh, oh, you're unbelievable. Unbelievable. So... He tries to be young because he's got fingerless gloves, which no one's worn fingerless gloves since fucking Davy Jones was playing the artful Dodger on the West End. <laughs> or Jack Wilde in the movie by Carol Reed, uh, cousin of Oliver Reed. Let's talk about Oliver Reed for a second. <laughs> I was discussing today, my friend, uh, 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 a friend of my wife's and mine, uh, uh, Des Apartments, and, and over near Belgravia, and Christopher Lee lives there. And every once in a while, Christopher Lee will fucking say to him, I need to have a word with you. <laughs> I was like, can you imagine having to go into Christopher Lee's apartment and shit? How fucking awesome would that be? And, and then, I'm, like, you're like, fucking Dracula's risen from the grave and whatnot. And I heard there's going to be a barbecue on the third floor. I won't have it, you know? They're like, oh, fucking the wicker man, you burned that fucking guy to death and shit. 
first of all, Christopher Lee's walk in The Wicker Man when they're doing... They throw down a, the, uh, who is it, Edward? Oh, God, not Edward Mulhair. Who played? Edward Woodward. Uh, later, The Punisher. Who the fuck did he play on American TV? The Equalizer. The Equalizer. Edward Woodward was Equalizer. Well, in the movie, he's a hapless detective. And he, he comes in and he's, he's dug up this girl's grave, Burl or whatever. And he goes, look what I found in the grave. And he throws down a fucking dead rabbit. And Christopher Lee goes, oh, she loved the March Hare. <laughs> and it's like, oh, gross. You found a dead rabbit in her grave. And he thinks it's funny. Um, so Carl Lagerfeld, can do, he wears the fingerless gloves, loads of rings, got the thing, and the rounded collar, little blue jeans and whatnot, and uh, drinks Diet Pepsi, which they bring him on a silver tray, right? They bring him a silver tray, they bring him a Coke Zero, right? Uh, but when he walks, he gives it away, man. He fucking gives it away. Like, Valentino walks like a human. Uh, Yves Saint Laurent walked like someone who did all the fucking heroin ever in the, you know, kind of loose and, hey, groovy, you know. Is, is my cigarette still lit? Oh, I've got two going. And, but Carl Lagerfeld walks like this. Complete rictus, you know, giant thing up his butt kind of walk that's just like his spine has been fused since 1958. But uh, in any case, he's enormously talented. My wife gave me this. This is from Bazaar Magazine. I'm going to try to get through. Oh, my God, it's so fucking long. You, the crowd here, their faces as I, the pages, the pages. Um, I'll read a little bit of it. And I've been debating all day long on how to read it. And then I've decided, of course, there's only one way to read it. He has a perfect Nazi accent from all the 60s movies. <laughs> really does. He talks like Otto Preminger in Stalag 13. He talks like Hardy Krueger. He talks like Oscar Werner, right? Like in all the great 60s movies, you know, with Roger Moore or whatever, The Great Escape. He really does. But I thought it would be better to do Jeremy Irons from Die Hard 3. Thank you. Because as you recall in Die Hard with a Vengeance, Jeremy Irons is German. <laughs> And his brother is Hans, all right? And he's Franz or whatever. I don't know what the fuck his name was. Your brother was an asshole. That's right, that's right. He was, he was an asshole. <laughs> Yesterday, we were men without a country. Tomorrow, we have to decide which country we want to buy. So, to give you the proper Nosferatu feel for Karl Lagerfeld's this is his diary of his day, right? Karl Lagerfeld designs for Chanel, and uh, this is his diary. 8 a.m., I sleep seven hours. <laughs> because what, when the cock crows, you'll be disintegrated if the sun rays hit you? No beams of sunshine shall touch my epidermis, or the rings will explode, and the fingerless gloves pop off, and the shades melt, and my spine won't be fused. Uh, I wear a long, full-length white shirt in a material called Poplin Imperial. <laughs> Made for me by Hildechinki in Paris after the design of a 17th century men's nightshirt I saw at the Victorian and Albert Museum. <laughs> so let me get this straight. You were looking at a nightshirt from the 1600s and went to Hildechinki in Paris and went, I found one of these. <laughs> I wish to sleep in it for seven hours a night. No longer than that. 
the first thing that I do when I get up, I have breakfast. Oh, thank fuck. <laughs> I thought he was gonna say I have a small basket of, you know, chinchillas brought to me, and I bite their neck off one after the next and drink the inkling fluid that comes within because I must have the endocrine system of rodents in order that my organs continue to palpitate. I have two protein shakes made for me by my doctor. <laughs> now I'm not a health nut, but I've made myself a protein shake before. I don't actually phone my physician and go, tomorrow when I wake up after seven hours, I must have sustenance, sustenance to break the fast. His doctor makes him protein shakes. The first clue that he is living the earth amongst us and has been dead for over 17 years. They have a chocolate taste and no sugar, of course. Right, because sugar is grown in the sun. I'm guessing no citrus either, you know. Nothing that requires the beams of the orange orb. Uh, and steamed apples. I, I don't know how to steam an apple. I've steamed my suit. I've, I've steamed a, a broccoli before. Uh, rice, perhaps. Uh, I've been steamed. I've, I've, I've steamed some tea. I've steamed open an envelope. Yes, I'm that old. It wasn't in a 30s movie. No, there was no invisible ink, but I have steamed open an envelope. Um, I don't know anyone who's eaten a steamed apple ever. If you did eat steamed apples, would you tell everyone you did? Wouldn't you say, I have wheat toast and two hard-boiled eggs? That seems like something someone might say. Uh, I have some locks from a salmon that's swimming by in the Seine that I catch with a hook that's at the end of my penis. It was made for me by by Greaves and Hawks from a design that I saw at the National Portrait Gallery in a uh, Jan van Eyck painting from the 16th century. I, it was a penis hookin, it was called, and I, that's what I used to scoop up the salmon from the sand and throw them into my... That's all. I don't like anything else in the morning. I never drink anything hot. Because he's a vampire. I don't like hot drinks. That is strange. He says it himself. I drink... This is the part that's going to make you go... Bruh. I drink Diet Coke from the minute I get up to the minute I go to bed. Well, you must be awfully busy. How do you find time for anything else? Every minute is filled with drinking Diet Coke. You said from the minute you get up to the minute you go to bed. Carl, I need to confer with you. Not now, I'm drinking Diet Coke. Surely Chanel requires that you work at some cocking point during the fucking day. Holy kittens. I, I can even drink it in the middle of the night and I can sleep. I don't drink tea. I don't drink coffee. I drink nothing else. Except for the blood of a royal, John. 
I have my hair done because I hate to have hair in my face when I sketch. <laughs> if you've seen his hair, it's white and he wears it in a ponytail, kind of like George Washington did in the 1700s. And then, because it's Carl, my hair is not really white. It's kind of grayish, and I don't like the color, so I make it totally white with chlorine dry shampoo. What's chlorine? What kind of 1890s fucking product is that? What weird Santa Maria novella fucking Rodrigo Borgia recipe for chlorine? First of all, no product has been called chlor anything in a thousand years. Uh, it is the best thing to do because my head is always clean. Well, I should hope so. I don't get dressed and take a bath until lunchtime because I'm doing a dirty job, painting with colors. <laughs> I think you'll find working in a coal pit all day long is a dirty job. Walking along Soho on Dean Street is a dirty job. Painting with colors in your fucking fuck-off apartment in Paris, not that dirty. Mm. Uh, I have everything, sheets and wardrobes. Most people don't, uh, let's see. When I'm ready, I soak in the bathtub. But if you really want to know, fuck yeah, I do. <laughs> Yes, that's why I'm reading this article about you. I used to have a product I love by Shu Yamura, but they don't make it anymore. Right. When did they, when did they discontinue that? 1854? When Napoleon went to Elba, they stopped making it. I found a French product that softens the water. You're in Paris. When I've gotten in a bathtub in Paris, I've never heard the water go, crack! <laughs> it's a hundred years old. I put half a bottle in the bathtub. I exercise very little because my doctor said it's not necessary. <laughs> yes, because you're not alive anymore. <laughs> If you're going to become a fog later and then a bat and then a weird dog and chase me around the fucking Tuileries as a black dog all night, no, you don't need to exercise. I did a lot of when I was very young and all you do when you're young stays. No, it fucking doesn't. You were fat up till 15 years ago before you had liposuction. I'm very flexible. I have no problems. <laughs> Other than you wear fingerless gloves, and it's the 21st century. You're not a chimney sweep, but you wear fingerless gloves. Uh, I never have lunch. Mm-hmm. Because lunch would mean humans. Uh, I actually have two houses. This house here, it's only for sleeping and sketching. <laughs> I have one house and I do everything in it. I'll eat, I'll use the toilet, everything in one house. Not in the same room, mind you. And I don't drink Diet Coke every minute of the day. This house here, it's only for sleep. I have another house two and a half meters away. Surely when you fly across Paris in the dead of night across the full moon, you can go any distance you like. Two and a half fucking meters. 
And you know what? You want to know what this house is for? For lunch and dinner and to see people. <laughs> and there the cook is and all that. You know, the cook and all that. You know that area where they make steamed apples? <laughs> Why do you need a cook? Surely anyone can steam a fucking apple, although I said I couldn't. Even if the place is used, I want to be alone. Mm -hmm. Well, that makes it unanimous. We all want you to be alone. I, I have two drivers, several cars, D D D D D. Uh, I arrive at the studio, um, let me see. I'm very quick and organized, the way I sketch, the way I work. I prefer to do all my work in the evening. <laughs> or in the morning or during the weekend. And I send everything on the iPhone. I'm not there in the studio draping. I don't do those things. My work is very conceptual. You don't do the draping? Well, then who fucking sees the models? Oh, other minions that are alive that can see the daylight and whatnot. <laughs> Dinner depends on the day. I don't go out that much because I'm always late. And I'm so busy and so pleased with what I'm doing. I'm not really ready for a social evening. The people I was going out with are dead. <laughs> or don't exist anymore. <laughs> oh my God! They're dead and they don't exist. <laughs> to unwind. It depends on how tired I am. Sometimes I read a little bit. Lately, I play with my cat, Choupette. <laughs> I don't know what Chupette means in French, but I'm guessing familiar that Satan knows. <laughs> the cat always stays home and when I leave, the maid takes care of her. The cat is like a very refined object. She doesn't go into the street and she doesn't go other places. <laughs> you mean in the apartment that you only sleep and sketch in or the apartment that you eat and the cook and all that? <laughs> she is a spoiled princess. I know another one. That is amazing. That was from Bazaar. Uh, uh, my wife uh, gave me that. I, I just, uh, wow. Wowzers McTavish. I really don't know what to say about Karl Lagerfeld's life other than it's not for me. Uh, when I take a bath, I don't need to soften the water. Uh, although I do use a series of emoluments uh, to make sure that my skin always has this lustrous sheen. Uh, all right, here's the boring preachy part. Let's get right to it. Uh, I was reading the Times today. I, I was re I've been reading The Guardian all week because, as you know, I'm a liberal, but I detest facts. <laughs> Thank you. That joke is much funnier than you gave it credit for. <laughs> the Guardian will print fucking anything, and that's what I love about them. And they also had a Guardian festival this week where all the people came and played hacky sack and whatnot. Uh, uh, good for them. But this is The Times, uh, the Murdoch paper. Bankers and tycoons at Cameron's top table. Number 10 forced to reveal donors who came to dinner. The group of 16, you've been following this story all week. For the Americans who have no idea who David Cameron is, um, <laughs> he's the um, uh, 
prime minister of England. Uh, and uh, he's running this joint now ever since uh, Gordon Brown left. Gordon Brown was the one who knew how all the finances worked, but his personality was sort of like a steamed apple. <laughs> David Cameron is the one who was just in the United States uh, um, looking for a room to let inside Obama's rectal cavity. <laughs> well, we found out this week that people have been paying money to go to 10 Downing and have dinner with him. And in and, and return for paying all this money and having dinner with him, they uh, are, are heard. They, their agenda is heard by the prime minister of a country with how many people live here? 56 million? 58 million? Uh, and a leading light of Europe, we'd like to think. The group of 16, many who have lobbied for city and business interests, have donated 23 million pounds to the Conservatives since Mr. Cameron became leader in 2005. 23 million pounds is about mm, 37 million dollars. That's a lot of fucking dash, as we say. Uh, the names emerged during a chaotic day in which number 10 lurched through a series of U-turns as officials battled to detoxify the latest cash for access row. It was sparked by a newspaper string in which Peter Credis, the ex-Tory treasurer, was caught soliciting donations of 250000 and more to continued on page 8, column 4. <laughs> Fuck, did I tear out page 8, column 4? No, it's here somewhere. Uh, Peter Credis has been in the news all bloody week. Uh, and he had to resign. And he said, when you gave us $250,000 to eat dinner with the uh, Prime Minister of England, that's the Premier League. Eh? That means it's the top uh, soccer or football league, uh, which means you get to say the most things to David Cameron. Let's just go through... Uh, Who's who in the Premier League? Tories are forced to reveal backers. This is the Times, by the way. I'm accused often, and it's true. I'm a screaming, fucking faggot-loving uh, um, liberal who loves the poor and always talks about occupying, and I'm very annoying about my politics. But this paper here, uh, no one would say that the Times of London is a left-wing paper. I want you to know that I'm reading from the Bible. Um, David Cameron's Bible, this in the Telegraph, I'm presuming. Uh, and, and they've put a, who, a who's who of who paid the most money. And there's a picture of Sam Cam uh, with uh, David Cameron uh, on a two-page, if you'll pardon the expression, spread. Um, <laughs> Murdoch and Elsa Mackleman, he's a Telegraph Media Group chief executive and one of the most influential newspaper bosses. Donated, not a donor, but Telegraph Media Group donated 24,000 quid. Uh, and he got to sit with him. Uh, Ian and Christine Taylor. Uh, he is chief executive of Vital, the world's largest oil trader. Hmm, let's just stop for a moment. <laughs> How much is petrol here now? Does anyone drive a car? No, we're in London. Does anyone know anyone who drives a car? Does anyone know anyone who lives in Surrey? Or Richmond? How, how much is, is petrol now uh, for a liter? How much? One pound 40. How many liters in uh, uh, what we call like an imperial gallon? Four? Yeah, 4.4. So Americans have to do the math on that one. One pound 40 is about mm, 210 in American, right? Yeah. So that's eight over nine dollars for a gallon of gas. In America right now in Los Angeles, five dollars, which is extraordinary for America. Um, 
Ian and Christine Taylor, he's the chief executive of Vital, the world's largest oil trader. That doesn't mean he drills for oil. That doesn't mean he pumps oil out of the ground. That doesn't mean he refines oil in any way. He trades oil. And as we have to hear in the United States all the time, and I'm sure you have to hear it as well, um, oh, the prices are set through this laborious um, series of, you know, people have to lie in a shallow ditch and they, they put an orange peel in their hair and they wait for the waxing, you know, right? No one just says we set fucking prices because we want to gouge everyone because people have to drive their fucking cars and buses and lorries and trucks and blah, 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 blah. The world's largest uh, oil trader, his company has worked with Alan Duncan, the development minister, on benefiting from the Libyan oil market. So that... That war we just had where we beat Libya, and wasn't that a great moment in freedom history? <laughs> what, that wasn't about oil at all, because the world's largest oil trader gave uh, a David Cameron 466,000 pounds in personal donations. So when I talk about rich white men running the world, I'm not just saying it to hear my own liberal tongue fucking flap like a duck's ass sliding down a fucking icy hill backwards. I'm saying it because the leader of the oil traders who sets the price at one fucking pound 40 per liter of fucking petrol that you, and then you have to slide your money through the fucking thing after dark and have a fucking bounty bar slid back to you. You can't even have a human interaction because they're so afraid of all of us that we're gonna fucking shoot the guy behind the fucking counter uh, while you're buying the oil that he is trading. Gave four hundred seven hundred fifty thousand dollars uh, to the prime minister of the. If, in other words, if the lead, if the head of Chevron Oil, uh, 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 whose name is uh, awesomely John Watson. If the leader of Chevron of, uh, of California gave $750,000 to Obama and said, I'd love to have dinner with you and I'd like to talk to you about some of my concerns. And none of them have to do with anyone who goes like this, <coughs> ever. Because everyone I know goes, ah. the, the sky is full of butterflies and the entire world is full of rich meals and people who open doors for me. I, I don't even do my own laundry, nor have I ever changed my baby's diapers, nor have I ever touched anything dirty in my life, nor, like David Cameron, have I ever had to open a door with a key. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's someone at the house that opens the door because you have staff and shit like that. Uh, Henry Below and Dorothy Angust, I think it's Angust, I'd like to pronounce it Angst, Chairman and Chief Executive of Arbuthnot Banking Group, PLC, and Executive Director of Floadia, Swiss-born has also backed a number of anti-EU campaigns. He gave David Cameron 830,000 pounds so he could eat dinner with him, and there's his picture there. What a, how unusual, he's white. <laughs> and rich and wealthy. You notice no one has dreadlocks or is named Umbungo who goes to the fucking 10 Downing Street. Has that crossed anyone's mind at any point that no one's named like, you know, um, Esteban that crossed over there? Lord and Lady Ashcroft, uh, four million pounds. His, he was subject to intense scrutiny and pledged to give up his non-dom tax status to keep his peerage. I'll explain what a peerage is to people in America. That means you live in a castle and you fly by night. You're often in Hello Magazine talking about how difficult it is because, you know, the National Trust and all that. Four million pounds, that's six and a half million dollars. It's so awesome.
Uh, I'm just having the best time this week. Because I, I think that why The Times is doing this, and my wife suggested it, is Rebecca Brooks was uh, arrested a couple of weeks ago. Is she incarcerated? She's probably out. But she, she was arrested. And Rebecca Brooks was the one who brought this up, right? She mentioned it. And now The Times is uh, taking their revenge on David Cameron and all of his rich white guy fucking Silvio Berlusconi bunga bunga party fucking <laughs> private jet flying people who you don't know, who we don't know, who are not coming down here, who won't even hear this show because they don't know what a podcast is. Because <laughs> They've never gone on their computer other than to look up when, oh, look, there's dead children everywhere and I have more money. That's the moment when they smile and then they brought boiled apples and a, a power shake that their doctor made. Um, that's how they live their life. And uh, so I think that's why. I think the Times might be uh, wreaking their havoc uh, on David Cameron and all these rich people here. And it's very exciting and fun. I'd love to see it happen in the United States. Um, and speaking of which... Uh, when we talk about the rich, let's talk about the poor for a second. This is from Channel 4 News website. Half a million forgotten families need help. The long-awaited report into the 2011 riots. Now, remember the riots. Uh, David Cameron was gone, and I was listening, as I've said before on the show. Uh, the riots started on a Thursday. I was listening on Sunday afternoon to the BBC World Service. And on the BBC World Service, they said, and I quote, David Cameron rushed back to London from his holiday. Now, I don't know what your definition of rushing is, but Thursday through Sunday, when you're just in fucking Europe, not that far. You've been to Europe before. It's what, two hours by a plane? I'm assuming a private jet. Maybe one that you could have bought with the four million dollars given to you by the Swiss fucking banker. Uh... Everyone who uh, looked at a store window cross-eyed, everyone who went on Facebook, everyone who went, we should fucking riot, no we shouldn't, was arrested and thrown in jail. Uh, but none of those people are in jail. And they, they've come up with a report that says poor parenting, a sense of hopelessness among young people, unemployment, and a materialistic culture were to blame for the disturbances. Materialistic culture, let's define that a little bit. This is the Channel 4 website. And as we're always talking about here on the show, on the Proopcast, on the podcast, um, the press will say anything that the government tells them to say. Um, materialistic culture, who's running the materialistic culture? I don't have $4 million of quid to give to the Prime Minister of England. You don't have $4 million. Who's the materialistic one? All up in this motherfucker, is what I'd like to say. Yeah, you're materialistic. You'd like to have a phone. You'd like to have a place to live. You'd like to have a backpack. You'd like your children to eat fucking food, oh, I don't know, every day or two and shit like that. <laughs> Um, I think the people who are materialists are having dinner at 10 fucking Downing Street. If you want to be very fucking serious with the definition of what materialism is, the acquisition of fucking wealth, right? The rest of us would like to acquire enough wealth so that we could buy a fucking day pass on the tube and not have to fucking buy one every day and shit. Um, thank you. Because, as you know, this government just came out with its budget and they want to increase the, uh, the, the tax on alcohol, which is a shocking turn of events in England. <laughs> alcohol is your birthright. Alcohol is mother's milk on this island. There's no way you get through the fucking day without being as drunk as you possibly can every goddamn night, shagging someone you met in a fucking amen. Can I get a fucking witness? The whole reason for England existing is that lager is made here and that people will drink that lager at some point in the goddamn day. And they want to tax it more because that'll keep people from acting up and shit like that. Me, 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 me. Poor parenting, a sense of hopelessness. you got to be kidding. Half a million forgotten families who, quote, this is according to the panel, bump along the bottom of society and need support. And yet, 
It's always austerity measures. Uh, the taxes have to be raised. There's going to be less health care. There's going to be less transportation. There's going to be less fucking everything. Oh, but we're going to have Olympics with a shitty fucking logo that you'll get no fucking money out of. I mean, really, austerity for fucking who? Uh, the panel notes the rioters are drawn from a wider group of half a million families, but are not receiving intensive support. Up to 15,000 people took part in the riots in London and other English cities in August, and most of them under 24, with poor school attainment records. Well, Cal, motherfucking surprise. <laughs> they don't go to school because what's the point of fucking going to school? If I know I can sell rock on the corner and make more fucking money selling rock than I do going to school and getting a fucking shitty job at Burger King and flipping fucking burgers, uh, I'm going to fucking sell rock, and that's how that fucking works. And that's called the free market society. <laughs> that all these guys who spend 4 million and 250,000 pounds to be in the Premier League and fucking have dinner with Sam Cam. They fucking understand that. Uh, the panel says the unrest was characterized by, quote, opportunistic looting, blah, blah, blah. Uh, fine schools, lack of confidence. Materialism is the headline. It says most people it surveyed believe materialism among young people is a problem. What's a problem is that all of us see things on telly and on, in fucking movies and on the billboards everywhere that we can't have. That's what materialism is. Uh, materialism is another way for all of the powers that be, all of the government, all of the advertisers, and all the people who make products all around the world to entice you to want something that one, you don't need, and two, you don't have. And therefore, you're peaked. You go, oh, fucking, I have to have the new phone and shit. You don't. What you have to do is have a conversation with someone you love. We need each other. We don't fucking need stuff. Right? He said in his suit, sitting up here on stage. <laughs> I'll grant you, I'm as bougie as the next person. My mother was a waitress and my father was a bartender. People think I went to Yale and shit because I have a vocabulary and I wear a suit. I wear a suit because I aspire to wear a fucking suit. I didn't work my whole fucking life so I could wear a Hello Kitty fucking wife beater up here. <laughs> There's a perception that the gap between rich and poor is growing. It's not a perception. It's fucking reality. It is fucking reality fucking tea. Um, here, let's just cut to the chase here. Uh, the chief executive's pay from last year, the Royal Bank of Scotland, who you may remember was somewhat involved in the collapse here. Uh, their chief executive, Stephen Hester's pay in 2010 was 7.7 million pounds. He got a 1.2 million salary. He negotiated Two, and a, uh, two million pound bonus, four and a half million pound bonus, long-term incentive plan, four and a half million in shares that Hester's agreed not to cash until May 2015 at the earliest. He's all heart. How does he get his jumper on? <laughs> I've got four and a half million coming, but come on. Half a million people in this country are bumping along at the fucking subsistence level. Many more in the United States. We have to read about them giving money to the prime minister of the country so they can have dinner with them so they can tell them what he should do for them. And the rest of us have no fucking voice. And when anyone builds an encampment, the police come by and tear gas you. This is the boring preachy part. It's, it's much longer than we thought it was going to be, Greg. <laughs> Me too. Let's cut to something funny here, and then we'll go to the questions. Uh, former President George W. Bush, you remember him, Caligula. Um, <laughs> yeah, here in London, England, it's a beautiful city. Yeah. <laughs> 
uh, was happy that the heart transplant went well for his vice president, Dick Cheney, according to a statement Sunday. So he didn't actually say it. Bush's spokesman. This is why I read the news to you. Bush's spokesman said he was happy it went well. We don't know if Bush actually said he was happy it went well at all. He might have said, that cocksucker, I hope he fucking explodes. <laughs> Dick Cheney was a painful hair across my ass crack for eight fucking years. Remember he wouldn't pardon Dick Cheney's oh boy scooter at the end. Like I don't think they were loving each other at the end. Cheney, 71, had surgery Saturday at Nova Fairfax Hospital in Falls Church, Virginia, an extraordinarily uh, well-to-do part of Virginia. Not Langley, that's where the CIA is, but as you remember, Cheney's had many jobs and worn many coats in his career. Uh, Cheney, 71. A lot of people wait for hearts. They said he waited 20 months for the heart. 71 is an extraordinary age to receive a human heart, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. Most people who receive human hearts are in their 40s to 60s. 71 is on the high fucking end to receive a human heart from another human. And, uh, yes, I'm going to go there. It's probably the first human heart he's had. Okay. That was easy and cheap. But so am I. Cheney has a history of heart trouble. Five heart attacks since 1978. His first occurred when he was 37. He was hospitalized at George Washington University in 2010, blah, blah, blah. Uh, in 2001, he was implanted with a pacemaker. Now he's received a human heart. Um, the former Wyoming congressman served as an influential vice president when George W. Bush was president from 2001 to 2009. As vice president, Cheney worked diligently, most behind the scenes, to forge the Bush administration's identity and broad policy positions. Let's just translate that into facts. Policy meaning we started a war against Afghanistan, which is still going. We started a war against Iraq, which we fucking just won. <laughs> um, also, 9-11 happened during Cheney's watch. Uh, they didn't scramble any jets on the day, as you know. And Condoleezza Rice, who was national security advisor during a 9-11, was not fired for failing to contain national security on 9-11. She was, in fact, made secretary of state for the second <laughs> term of office. Uh, Dick Cheney also insisted uh, that... Um, uh, Iraq had something to do with 9-11, which as we know, nor they didn't have no yellow cakes of uranium, they had no weapons of mass destruction, and they had nothing to fucking do with 9-11. Uh, our ally, Saudi Arabia, um, had many, many, many Saudi Arabians uh, during 9-11. Cheney also served in the Nixon White House and was chief of staff to President Gerald Ford. You don't fucking say. <laughs> and now he has a new heart. And we wish him well, because we don't wish anyone to die. <laughs> Let me just say this. If his doctor were to make him power shakes and he were to eat boiled apples for the rest of his life, I wouldn't be that unhappy. Dominique Strauss-Kahn uh, faces charges over prostitution links. The former managing director of the International Monetary Fund now faces legal battles over his sexual exploits on both sides of the Atlantic. His American lawyers are preparing for a civil hearing tomorrow into claims that he raped a chambermaid in a New York hotel. Well, of course he didn't rape her. She was poor. <laughs> the poor can't be raped. They should be glad to get it. As you know, he went to a party and uh, everyone was naked there. And they've been saying over and over, and this is still his defense, he couldn't tell the difference between a prostitute and a regular woman because they were all naked. And he has admitted to going to orgies. 
But really, Greg, are you going to still stick with your assertion that rich white men rule the world, like the head of the International Monetary Fund who's being arrested for pimping this week? He said, Mr. Strauss-Kahn, this is his lawyer, uh, the politician said he was in, uh, uh, introduced to the call girls by respectable acquaintances, some of whom were police. The 62-year-old admits having participated in libertine parties, but he says he had no idea his partners were paid to have sex with him. Who doesn't want to have sex with you, DSK? You're just so popular. That's got to be what it is. Maids, everyone. Uh, if you want to query me, uh, smartestofthespecialthing.com, we're going to take a couple email ones, then we're going to go to the crowd here because it's about time to do that. And the boring spreechy part went on too fucking forever. Uh, Smartest at a special thing.com. Uh, Simon asks, Your Eminence. Well, thank you, Simon. Please rise. Uh, do people ever change? Oh, fuck yeah. Simon, they do. Uh, a lot of people change. Some people quit drinking. Some people quit uh, doing the bad things that have ruined their lives. Some people quit beating on the people that love them. Um, do Dick Cheney and Dominique Strauss-Kahn and George W. Bush and David Cameron and the head of Vital, the oil fucking whatever they are, do they change? No. <laughs> rich people have a real problem. And I don't mean rich people like that have a couple million. I mean rich people like on that level. They have no morality because they don't know what's right and wrong. And they've never bought anything or been anywhere or talked to a real person. So they actually don't fucking know. So they don't change. Dominique Strauss-Kahn at this late date is still asserting that because everyone was naked, he didn't know who was a prostitute and who was a woman. <laughs> So some people don't change, but other people do. And change is good. Plus que change, uh, you know. Yes, I see what time it is. Thank you, Paolo. Jason asks, thank you for the question, Simon. Jason asks, Your Excellency. Ooh, this is nice tonight. Your Eminence and Your Excellency. I would have settled for Your Honor. Uh, you're making a mixtape for the audience in front of you right now. What is the opening track? Money Changes Everything by Cindy Lauper. No, the opening track is Strawberry Letter 23, which was the last track we played before uh, uh, we started the Proopcast tonight by the Brothers Johnson, and followed by A Great Deal of Funk, and then Towers of London by XTC. Uh, Victoria's Empire was somebody's hell, he says. Uh, thank you, Jason, for that. Um, and we'll move on. Let's see, let's have about a funnier question. <laughs> Maria asks, and I have something to ask you, Maria. <laughs> if I say your name soft, is it almost like praying? <laughs> I've just met a girl named Maria. That's not my favorite song in that show. Could be, who knows? It's only just out of reach, down the park, on a beach, under a tree. It may come thunderballing out of the sky, gleaming its eye, coming for me. Um, could it be? Yes, it could. Something's coming, something good, if I can wait. Maria asks, Oh, Proopful Overlord. Uh, oh, Proopful Overlord. And I'm only Overlord of the 15th Quadrant. Liv Tyler is ethereal, yes or no? <laughs> well, Liv Tyler is Steven Tyler's daughter, but she wasn't raised by Steven Tyler. She was raised by B.B. Buell and Todd Rundgren. 
uh, although I think she's uh, acknowledged that Steven's her dad, and as you know, dude looks like a lady. Uh, I'd like to do an impression of Liv Tyler from you from every ad that you see of Liv Tyler in a magazine. She's a six-foot-tall brunette girl, and she's been in lots of movies, and she was in all the Aerosmith videos uh, from the early 90s, like Crazy and all those. And Liv Tyler goes like this, no matter what. Her upper lip comes over. She played, I think it was Galadriel, was it? No, 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 Kate Blanchett's Galadriel. Arwen, in, in, the, in, the, in the Board of the Rings trilogy. And um, yes, she is ethereal. And also quite real. She's a real woman's weight and she's a real woman's height. And for that, I love her. Your servant, Maria. Thank you, Maria. I am your servant and I thank you for that question. Um, Dear Gregory, David asks, who reigns supreme, Kirk or Picard? Oh, well. Oh, this is going to take another hour. <laughs> You guys may want to order some drinks because this question's going to take a while. Well, all right. Where do I start? Where do I begin? I begin here. Um, Picard. <laughs> Picard is immutable because, first of all, he's supposed to be French, which I love because he's so very English. <laughs> Patrick Stewart, and he... Make it so. And then... Uh, in one episode, they bring back his French mama, and he goes, mama, in one episode. I don't know if you saw that one. That was, they go back in the past. And he's awesome and, and super bossy. And I really love The Next Generation Beyond All Measure. I did. I thought it was beautifully written. Uh, Worf, Worf has Jewish parents, if you've ever watched The Next Generation. <laughs> Worf's a Klingon, but he was adopted. And his parents are like, Worf, all the time with the aggression. <laughs> Worf, are you comfortable? I make a living. <laughs> you have not showed me enough respect. But Kirk, wow. See, I grew up with Kirk, and as we've discussed on the show, everything that you love from the age of seven to nine is the stuff that you love for the rest of your life. And Star Trek was on when I was a little kid, and I really loved it. My dad used to let me stay up late and watch it. I had the Star Trek tracer gun. I had the model that I built poorly and put the fucking thing in backwards and shit. I was never good with my hands. And... Um, uh, and, and I did a show years ago in Scotland uh, called, oh God, Space Cadets, it was called. It was a, a very bad uh, sci-fi quiz show, but we had magnificent guests. Thank you, buddy. If you can hear out there in podcast land, someone went, it wasn't that bad. That was faint praise. That was faint fucking praise. That's what that was. It was that fucking bad. Bill Bailey and, and Craig Charles were on it, and Craig Charles was immortal in Red Dwarf, and Bill Bailey's immortal in everything. And, uh, 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 but we had all these great guests. We had Ed Bishop from uh, fucking um, uh, Space 1999. We had um, Terry Pratchett, who wrote all the Ring World. Uh, and we had Walter Koenig, right? And Walter Koenig played Chekhov in the original Star Trek program in all billion movies. And I said to Walter, I loved you as Chekhov. And he went, I've played many roles in my career. Chekhov was but one of them. And going back to Christopher Lee, because Christopher Lee so often said, I only played Dracula in a couple of movies. And it's like, mm. <laughs> Walter, you may have played many other roles, but we saw you as Chekhov more than we saw you in any of the other roles. But William Shatner came up to Scotland. He stayed in Glasgow. Uh, and uh, he uh, shagged his wife in the bathroom, according to the crew. And, <laughs> yeah. 
and was the biggest lump of fun I've ever fucking had in my entire life. First of all, William Shatner really talks like that all the time. I said, Bill, how did you get over anyone? I took a virgin. And I said, were you in first class? Yes. Virgin's very nice. And he went, Greg. They're nice. He fucking talks that way all the time. He danced on the set, he sang, he kissed me, he kissed Craig Charles. And I have a photograph of me, Bill Bailey, Craig Charles, and fucking William Shatner that he fucking signed in 8x10. We're all wearing the twattiest fucking sci-fi uniforms of all time that are like a tunic with a fucking emblem and shit on it. And I've got glasses on and fucking straight up hair. And I couldn't be happier. I'm like... <laughs> so Captain Kirk. Captain Kirk is who reigns supreme. Although Jean-Luc Picard was super, super fucking awesome. Uh, Janet, are you in the house? Let's take some questions from the audience, shall we? Does anyone want to engage? Engage. And then we'll fuck off into the night. And I, I apologize for the boring, preachy part tonight. I just couldn't resist. When the Times ran a whole picture section of all the donors who gave David Cameron money, it just made me laugh my ass off. And then, you know, when we're talking, oh, uh, you got it? Uh, over here. Where, where are you, Janet? There's there's a young lady there. I've I've got I've got um, I'm I'm oh, in your Oh, you got someone over there. Go. Over there. Okay. Um, you've mentioned. Oh, there um, you are. Hi. Hello. <laughs> you bought me a drink before the show. I did. But yet you drink Diet Coke like Carl Lagerfeld every yeah. minute of the day. I quite fancy him actually with the shirts. Um, what are we? Are we? Um, yes. Uh, Jeremy Irons, you do very well. What's your well. name, baby? Izzy. Hi, yeah. Izzy. Isabel. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, um, Jeremy Irons, and you mentioned Hans Gruber, his elder brother, and I was wondering, because you do all these sexy male voices, you do, like, you know, you do, you do. You'll right? get everywhere with that kind of talk, <laughs> Izzy. See, number one on my list is Alan Rickman, and I wanted to know your oh, opinion. Oh, I can't do Alan Rickman, I no, can't. No, well, your opinion of him as an actor. Oh, I adore him beyond all measure. I was in, uh, uh, where the fuck was I last week, Austin, or where the cock was I? I, I can never remember where I was, but wherever I was, and I was in the south of the United States, and they were having a diehard festival on TV, and they were showing them, no, no, I was in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, yeah, you're fucking right. In case you think my life is glamorous and shit, I was in Saskatoon, fucking Saskatchewan last week, watching a diehard festival while eating room service, and... Uh, uh, Die Hard 1, uh, which is so awesome, and she says, you're nothing but a common uh, thief or whatever, and he goes, I'm anything but, since I'm not a common thief, and since I've become a kidnapper, you should, uh, what is it, treat me with more respect or whatever. And then, of course, the last scene when Alan Rickman falls, and he's, in, in, oh, and the gun and whatnot. Um, I love Alan Rickman, beyond all measure. First of all, he was in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. So, he deserves a medal just for being in that movie. Because it was the water world of fucking Robin Hood movies. Ah, and someone else, it's not that bad. When Morgan Freeman is a moor in a movie, yeah, it's that bad. Uh, he, he's fantastic. And I, and I, I was uh, having lunch once with my wife in, in, in Los Angeles at a place called Orso's, which isn't there anymore. They've changed it over. And we're sitting outside. And when Alan Rickman ordered, he ordered like he orders in the movies. I'd have wine! And you were like, yes. <laughs> it was really good. So I loved him for that. 
I also met Hugo Weaving in the bathroom there, and it was great. Because Hugo Weaving and, you know, with the giant forehead and shit. And, and I was like, goodbye. Oh, you're so awesome. Thank you. I love Alan Rickman. Thank you for your question, Isabel. Janet, where are you? I can't see. Nor can I hear you. Janet? Planet Schmanet, Janet. Where are you? Oh, you're in the back. Oh, there, you. Hi, Pumpkin Butter. Hello. I met you the other night, didn't I? Yeah, you did. What's your name again? Uh, Rebecca. That is correct. That <laughs> Thank you. Um, my question, I want to list off a bunch of people and see who you think would be the best world leader and the worst world leader. Um, so, Dick Cheney, and Rick Santorum, and Dominique Strauss-Kahn, and Vladimir Putin, and Snooky, and a kitten. What was the one before the kitten? Uh, Snooky. Flute. From Jersey Shore. Oh, oh, Snooky. Yes, yeah, Snooky, sorry. Or the a orange kitten. one. Yeah. I think Snooky might be holding down a lot of the, carrying a lot of the heavy weight on this one. Uh, D D Dick Cheney and Dominic Strauss-Kahn and, and the other ones you mentioned, mm, 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 that's more of the same. Um, first of all, there shouldn't be world leaders. There should be a big meeting every day and we all vote on some sort of weird green felt thing. <laughs> And then everyone should be given those little round pieces of cheese that come in the, in the wrappers. What are those called? Baby bells. Yeah, the bells, the baby bells. And, and then everyone should have, a, 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 as a German guy once told me uh, years ago in Mainz, Germany, every woman should be given a glass of champagne at 11 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> if I ruled the world, I think that's how it would go. And there, there wouldn't be any ugly, icky men. First of all, Dick Cheney, uh, I don't even know where to begin on Dick Cheney. He's like an anti-person. If you could be a person and have human feelings and shit, and then you could be Dick Cheney and be like, hmm. He's, he's frightening to me. Uh, a kitten would not be a great world leader because they're, they're easily distracted. And if you throw a ball of yarn at a kitten, they'll spend hours fucking playing with it. And then if you give them catnip, they'll crawl across the rug and rub their butt on it and shit forever. And then you're like, but nothing's getting done. And that's where Snooky comes in. Because after the tanning and the drinking and getting pregnant and having her hair done in that weird Inca priestess hairdo, I think she could adjudicate. I hope that answers your question. It was a multiple choice question and I picked two. Anybody else? Who, who, th this young lady. Oh, oh it's I, you, Nirvana. Oh, no. Wait. Sorry, they gave oh, me the microphone. <laughs> hey, what up? What's hey, your name? Jefferson. What is it? Jefferson. Oh, hi, Jefferson. How are you? Good. Uh, my question was... Thank you for writing the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> and the first draft of the Constitution. Go on. Um, if you could bring back any bit of slang from the ancient world and bring it into the modern world, what would it be? Wow, that's a very good question. I'm going to need a whole nother show. <laughs> oh. Any bit of slang from the ancient world? Well, you're presuming I know a lot of ancient slang. Um, there's a few that I can think of that are too fucking filthy to even mention. <laughs> Well, filetrix. And the crowd went quiet. I told you it was too filthy. I'm not even going to explain what that is. You're going to have to go online and look that fucking one up. I, I wouldn't bring that one back. I think Hikati. 
Uh, I think uh, witches are, are often overlooked in this world. I, I think um, in the ancient world, um, aside from their insane misogyny, um, there was also another side of the ancient world, and that was that people took drugs and shagged each other, not in a Dominique Strauss-Kahn way, <laughs> uh, but in a, in a good, positive way, particularly here in England, where you guys uh, spent any moment you could getting your clothes off, taking drugs, and having sex in the forest. Uh, I believe that's what Robin Hood was all about, right? <laughs> Robin Hood was actually like Jack Cock of the Green or whatever the fuck they called him, and, and uh, I, I think that's something I would bring back to, to uh, represent uh, the sexual power of women uh, o over everyone. Uh, and and, the, and that, that once, we all know in our hearts that um, the entire world was uh, um, a, a maternalistic society and that we men switched it at some point in the ancient days and ever since then we've been fighting against it and that's why we have Dominique Strauss-Kahn and all that uh, in this late date. Uh, I went to Sicily with my wife years ago and we stood at this weird ley line confluence and it was all about goddesses and shit there and you thought for real at one point if you read Robert Graves or anything you know that 10, 15, 20, 30,000, 50,000 years ago, the world was run by women. It was a matriarchy because obviously women could give birth. Men are fucking swaggering seed bearers who have menstruation envy, who kill people because they can't fucking give life. And women give life because they can fucking give life and they also occasionally are philatrixes. Now the point is this, because they're generous. They're generous in that respect. So I, I would bring that one back, uh, if that answers your question at all. That wasn't necessarily as satisfying an answer as I wanted or as the audience wanted, but uh, ancient slang is a toughie, bro <laughs> who, who Who's up? We'll have a couple more and then we'll fuck off. Hi, Greg. I'm whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. Sorry, I'm not used to the microphone. I'm at the back here. Hello. I'm waving at you to your left. Up the left. back, are you? To, the, to your left. Hi, Alex. Oh, there you are. Hi, Hello. Alex. Hello. I saw you do set list, Paul Provenza's show in December. That must have been wildly impressive to you. It was amazing. It was a brilliant show. Everybody, when set list comes back, you've got to come and see that. It was fantastic. It was good. It was a really good show. Thanks, mate. I missed the episode or the, the evening when you were there with Phil Jupiter, so I couldn't make that evening. But look at your face. This is what I was going to ask you about. You tweeted something about him impressing you or making you laugh an awful lot, and I just wondered what that was. Can you tell me? Well, everything, tell us? everything Phil Jupiter does makes me laugh. And he's, first of all, he's a gigantic lamb chop. Uh, <laughs> it's amazing that he doesn't have mint jelly over him all the time. Uh, he, there's nothing I don't love about Phil Jupiter. And he wears eye makeup like Ian Jury, which I adore him for. Uh, no, we just, we had a good time, you know. Um, I, I, I love him uh, like a brother. And uh, uh, he, he's, he's an amazingly creative and, and where you, I don't know where you went. Oh, there you are. Uh, a supportive individual. Um, he, he just makes me laugh. This is something you don't know about Phil Jupitus, but it's going to be boring to tell you, and I'm going to tell you, because that's how I do this show. Um, he loves baseball more than life itself. I know he's English and shit like that, but he has a Boston Red Sox tattoo on his fucking arm. Now... Uh, the Boston Red Sox are the last team that integrated in baseball, right? The first team that integrated was the Brooklyn Dodgers. The second team was the Cleveland Indians. And on the Cleveland Indians, uh, the first black player was Larry Doby. The second black player was Satchel Paige, ladies and gentlemen. 
Phil was telling me about the movie Moneyball and how he had a screaming orgasm when he was watching it. And that's what made me laugh so much about Phil Chippenis. Uh, oh, there's a, there's a uh, up front here. Can we hit Nirvana and then we'll, we'll blow into the night, uh, Janet? There's a girl here in a, in a plaid shirt who... Uh, oh, you're going to go back... Oh, you're making your way there. Oh, we're forming a human chain. Who says England doesn't work together? <laughs> yes, my pumpkin butter. What's okay. your name? Iona. Iona. Yeah. And um, do you? Uh, too on. many people tell me that joke. <laughs> my name's Proops. How do you think of my life's gone? <laughs> do you know how often people tweet me and go, Hey, Poops. <laughs> I swear to God, even right now at 52. Um, I've got like a couple of questions. My first question is... I didn't say you could ask two questions. <laughs> I am very persistent. Um, I was wondering... If, like, first of all, you didn't bring me a vodka earlier in the show. I'll buy you one after the show. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, do any of you like the old... No, 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 I can't my say that. Iona, da, 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 uh, 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 oh, my little flannel one. Do any of the old kids like that? Dressing up like you was in Nirvana. Oh, no. uh, 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 uh. All right, go on. Okay, I was wondering if any of the old kids Oh, we're still talking at the same time? Yes. Yeah. Go on. Timing is the essence of comedy, Iona, yes. <laughs> okay. I was really wondering if any of the old Who's Line lot ever meet up, like you, Josie Lawrence, Ryan Stiles. Oh, fuck yeah. Woo. Yay. Oh, no, dude. Iona, and I call you dude, if I may. That's uh, cool. Sunday, uh, uh, Josie was on a show called, um, what, what was the name of it, Jennifer? Maestro. Maestro. Uh, she's on the show called Maestro uh, with the cat from uh, um, um, Strictly Come Dancing and um, the historian uh, cat and then another cat who... Um, <laughs> I call them cats because I can't remember their names. Uh, and then a guy who was a DJ. And I'm not, I can't tell you the winner because they told us not to tell who fucking went through to the next round. But they conducted an orchestra at the Royal um, over Covent Garden at the Opera House. And we went and saw Josie there. And then we, we uh, had a glass of champagne with her afterward. Uh, Richard Vonch, I saw, or Shaw. Well, I saw <laughs> Richard Vonch, I saw a couple of days ago. I saw Richard Vranch uh, several days ago. Not only did I see him, I touched him. And, uh, and we got high and we uh, had lunch and whatnot. Uh, Ryan, I was in Saskatoon fucking Saskatchewan with, as, as Jeff and Chip as well. Uh, Colin I saw in November uh, at, um, uh, at Toronto. Um, I, I know all the Who's Line guys. We're still all friends. Um, horribly, there's no feud between us. What I wish I'd started in the 90s was a blood enmity battle with everyone on Who's Line so that it would be like Greg Proops and Clive Anderson are like in the Beat It video. We're tied together and I've got a fucking razor and went, oh, no, 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 You know what I mean? Because horribly, we're all friends and we still talk to each other. Uh, uh, Clive, no, of course not. But, um... <laughs> I'm joking. I saw Clive last year, and we, we, we always get along. And uh, at Drew Carey I saw, but several weeks ago, and uh, uh, we played in San Francisco in January together, and uh, Drew's just as uh, funny as you remember him. <laughs> that was fucked up, Greg. That was fucked up what you did. I am going to have to get up tomorrow morning after sleeping seven hours and eat some steamed apples in a power shed. <laughs> I see all of them and I play with all of them. Well, I, I play with Colin most of all because his man bag is the furriest. 
Ryan's is so tall it's hard to reach without a stepladder. <laughs> and I'm, I'm doing the, con well, the, by the time this uh, uh, proofcast drops, uh, if you'll pardon the expression, uh, I will be playing tomorrow night at the Comedy Store with uh, Steve Steen, who's here, and uh, uh, I went and saw Jim Sweeney today from uh, Whose Line Is It Anyway? Steve Steen is here tonight. Jim Sweeney, of course, uh, wrote many plays as well, uh, Sick Transit and Danny's Wake, which uh, the magnificent Steve Steen was in. I'll be playing with him tomorrow. Steve Steen was also at the, uh, at the set list uh, in December with Andy Smart. You're very welcome, Steve. Uh, and we're all very good mates. Uh, we get drunk together and we hang around and it's just exactly like you think it is. Uh, in your mind, whatever you're conjuring up, oh, I wonder if they stand outside and they smoke a joint and they get drunk and they fucking riff together. We fucking do. Uh, it's been the best part of my life, quite frankly. Uh, the fact that I was ever on Whose Line Is It Anyway and the fact that I know all the, not you, Steve, but the rest of the guys. That's been our show. Thank you very much for coming out. We'll be in Paris next Wednesday. This has been the Poopcast. I wish you nothing with love and effervescence. My name's Greg. Good night.